Father, my prayer today is for those of us who know the truth about your Son, Jesus Christ, and yet lack the confidence and the conviction to share it courageously with others. And I am one of those, God. And I, I pray that you would help us learn from our brother Paul. Help us to not make our lives about ourselves, but about you and your glory and the final salvation of the many. And also for those who don't know the truth right now in this room, I pray that their souls would find rest today. And it's in your sweet, sweet name we pray. Amen. Well, joyful greetings. My name is Patrick Fisher, and I know I repeat this over and over again, uh, but because some of you are new today and are still waking up, or because some of you come late and don't get to hear my intros, I'll repeat it again. I am not the pastor of this church, nor am I a pastor, nor am I trying to be a pastor. I am a preacher and a teacher, but I am not the pastor. The reason why I'm up here is because one, I love God. Two, I, I love this church. It is my joy and pleasure to use the gifts that God has given me to serve all of you and to help you become faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And number three, it's because our pastor, Wilson Wang, uh, always seems to trust me with the preaching every time he's not here. So where is he today? Uh, he is at Epic Conference preparing 1,500 students to go out into our city, the city of Florton, to share about the good news of Jesus Christ. So I hope that we would keep him in our hearts and pray for him, for the students that are going to go out, and for the souls of our city. And now that I'm done with my intro, let's get to work. Uh, open up your Bibles or pull out your smartphones and uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. This is our third week in the book of Philippians, and I know it looks like a few verses, but this passage is about missions, and so there's a lot for me to say, and we don't have all day. So let's go. I'm reading from the ESV version. If you guys have a different version, that's okay, unless it says satanic version or anything like that. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. So, let's start with the first three verses, verses 12 to 14. I have a question first, and it's, what do you think a wealthy Asian lady, an oppressed Greek slave girl, and a middle-class Roman jailer all have in common? Well, according to Acts chapter 16, all of them were the early members of the Church of Philippi. And all of them found their lives transformed by the gospel. And so I look at this church, and I, I, I love the diversity there. How different the cast are from one another. And then I look around here, and I see how all of us are different, and I love the diversity at Renew. And so the reason why I bring this up is because in verse 12, when Paul is saying, I want you to know, he's not talking to one cookie-cutter mold of people, of Christians. He's talking to people with different backgrounds, different struggles, different stories. Lydia, she was rich, religious, but her life was empty. The slave girl was bitter, oppressed, and angry. And the Roman jailer was indifferent and cruel. And yet, all of them were changed the moment they heard about Christ. All of them are gathering attentively to hear this letter, to hear what God wants them to know through his servant Paul. So it doesn't matter if you look around this room and think to yourself, I'm different. Because God's word is speaking to you. And what is it saying? It's saying that what has happened to Paul is a good thing. It has advanced the gospel. It has made Christ known further. And the truth has come sooner. How? How? It's because Paul's imprisonment. Every, because of Paul's imprisonment, everyone is hearing about this man who is filled with joy to be in prison for Christ. My wife said this, often the way we respond to God in trials reveal how we see God. 
if our hearts turn to bitterness and cry unfairness, it often shows that we don't have a proper view of God. Imagine Paul. He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. There's no Wi-Fi. It's dark and smelly, and the jailers don't provide any food for him. Instead, he has to desperately wait for someone on the outside to bring him his next meal. Now imagine, what would his letters say if he saw God more as a genie, more as a God that he puts under his debt, versus his actual Lord? Perhaps it goes something like this. Hey guys, I'm hungry right now. Please bring me some food. I'm craving Korean barbecue and in and out And man, I, I don't know why God is doing this. I don't know how he could let me be in prison. I'm really struggling. I can't see how he could do this to me. He must not be faithful or powerful as I thought he was. How many of us have responded like this? And I'll be honest, I I know I have. Several times. But what astonishes me is that when Paul is asked about how prison is, he says, things are great. He says, this is actually amazing. This is helping people hear about Jesus Christ because guard after guard get chained to me, and now they have to be, hear about Jesus. They're a captive audience. And not only that, not only that, but the Christians outside of prison they are becoming more bold and courageous to share about their faith. This is working out great. Why? Because all I care about is the gospel. And so if I have to be in jail, then so be it. If I have to get beaten up, then so be it. If I have to get shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, and executed... So be it. Christ is worth it. Christ is worth it. That sin that you're holding on to, it's it's not worth it. Christ is. And again, to be honest, Lots of us in this room, we struggle with living anything close to that. Why? It's because we're comfortable cowards. And I hope you can admit that, because that's what we are. And I'm one of them. I've lost track of how many times I felt convicted to go talk to someone whether a stranger or friend or family member, and I chickened out. And then I made excuses, stupid, selfish excuses to make myself feel better. 
it's easy to have excuses for why we don't share the gospel. And it's scary because we don't want to be rejected. We don't want to lose our job, a friendship, a family member. But if you look at what Paul is saying, what Paul is proclaiming, he's saying that this gospel is worth it. It's worth more than your life and mine. But it's still, it's still hard to share about Jesus. But I think what helps me is when I think about this. Was it easy for Christ to die on the cross for us? In the Garden of Gethsemane, how do you think he felt about dying on the cross? Because when he was in the garden, in anguish, he was, he was praying to the Father. He was saying, God, Father, is there any other way? He wasn't going, man, I sure can't wait to get spit on. I can't wait till they beat me up. I can't wait until they start lashing me and pulling chunks of skin off my body. Oh, and I can't wait until they strip me naked, hang me on a cross to leave me suffocating to die. Oh, and the best part is when I have to absorb the wrath of God for all these sinners. That, that last part. I, I don't even know how to begin expressing the full weight of that. Perhaps it would help you to imagine all the physical torment that I said at first is just a small paper cut on the finger in comparison. He was dreading this so much that he began sweating blood and asking the Father, is there any other way? But then he says, not my will, but yours. Yours be done. I love them, and may you be glorified. This, this will save them. If I have to go through this type of hell so that they don't have to go to hell, then so be it. This, this is the gospel worth sharing. This is the truth that gave the middle-aged man in China and so many of us and so many other people in this world true rest. This is what life is all about. And then we move on to the last four verses, verses 15 to 18. It says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What is our motivation for sharing about Christ? What motivates me to preach about him? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't share about the gospel to prove that I'm Christian or to secure right standing with God. And I don't think none of us should do that because Christ has already done that for us on the cross. Rather, I share the gospel because I enjoy and love God. Here's a story about my wife uh, to help you guys understand that. In 2009, she was in St. Louis for her very first Urbana conference. She was young and immature then. She fell asleep in a lot of her sessions. But then God spoke to her through Hardee's. Now, for those of you who haven't ventured outside of California, you may, you may already know that Hardee's isn't the name of a preacher or a person, but it's the East Coast version of Carl's Jr. And it's at Hardee's, she had bacon cheddar fries. <laughs> Something you don't have here. And the fries were so good, she got out of her comfortable, comfortable seat and went to everyone she knew in the fast food restaurant and said, these fries are so good. You need to know how delicious they are. You need to try these. And it was at that moment she realized how much better God is than these fries and how much more should she be sharing about him with others so that they too may enjoy him. He is my treasure, my hope, my satisfaction, my contentment, my happiness, my full joy. And it's because of that, because I find so much joy in him and I love others so much, I am compelled, I am driven to share this experience with others so that they too might taste the sweetness of Christ for all of eternity. Now, what is one way this looks like? One way, not the only way, but one way this can look like is imagine this. Monday comes, right, tomorrow, and all of us, uh, most of us will be heading back to class or to work. And then one of our fellow students or workmates naturally will ask us about our weekend. Or maybe you could start the conversation first and ask them about their weekend, listen to them, love them, not just hear them and wait for your turn to speak. Um, and then they'll ask you the question back, so either way. And so when they ask you the question, how was your weekend, 
rather than replying with a one-word answer like, oh, good, fine, imagine the effect it would have if we said with all genuineness and sincerity, man, I had a great weekend. I really enjoyed learning more about my God. And obviously, you say that in your own words, in your own way. It's not a script. But at that point, your classmate or your coworker, he, they may ask you to elaborate more. And you could respond with something like what you learned on Sunday's preaching or in your personal quiet time or through the fellowship, etc., etc. Or he may not ask you or she may not ask you. But what they hear, perhaps for the very first time, is that there is a joy to be found in God. And then from that point on, you can continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for more opportunities like this. And that God would soften his or her heart to respond to the gospel. That's one way. But remember, what motivates you to share about Christ? If we go back to our text we see what was motivating the church in Philippi. In this church, not everything was perfect. They too were for imperfect people only. And so it's clear that there are two groups preaching Christ for different reasons. One, for good reasons, out of love. And the other, for bad reasons, out of envy and rivalry. The group with bad, re- bad reasons We're trying to annoy and hurt Paul. But look, look at how Paul responds again. It's not like how we would expect a normal person to respond. Instead of having a pity party and saying, why me? Instead, he says this. So what? Who cares? Who cares if they have wrong motive? Who cares if they're trying to hurt me? If Christ is being proclaimed, I'm going to rejoice. Now, it's important to note that if these people were perverting the message of the gospel, if they're preaching a false teaching, then Paul would have called them a curse, just like he did in Galatians. But because they were still sharing the true gospel, He was rejoicing, not in them, not in the people with false motives, but in the fact that souls got to hear the truth about Christ. Don Carson explains why Paul can have this kind of response. He says this, Paul's example It's impressive and clear. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspiration. 
our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. What are your aspirations? To make money? To get married? To travel? To see your grandchildren grow up? To find a new job? To retire early? None of these are inadmissible. None of these are to be despised. The question is whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central goal is squeezed to the periphery and, or chucked, choked out of existence entirely. We each have our calling in life. We all have different jobs, from teacher to lawyer to businessman, we all have different passions and personalities. But whatever our calling, the gospel must be first. Life will have its ups and downs for all of us. There will be times when we feel chained by the circumstances of life, feeling misunderstood, depressed, overstressed, used, forgotten, rejected, alone. But if the gospel is first in our life, I believe we will be able to say with Paul, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, in that, I rejoice. And so I want to close our time with, again, I just don't want to come up here, speak, entertain you guys. We, we want to be a church that engages one another. Uh, so we're going to move in time of discussion. I have two discussion questions. Uh, they're pretty heavy, because I like it heavy. Uh, the first one is, is the gospel first and foremost in our lives and in our church? And the second is, what do you think it takes for you to share the gospel with confidence? So I encourage you guys, break up into groups of two and three, um, and just share. And that's how I'll end this segment. <laughs>